Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Kılıç Kanat, and I'm the research director of SETA Foundation in Washington, D.C. Uh, we have an important panel today on Turkey's Mediterranean policy. It has been since the actually the uh, agreement, memorandum of understanding between Libya and Turkey, there is a, a major debate about Turkey's Mediterranean policy, Turkey's Libya policy, and uh, as the maritime delimitation in the region is becoming one of the hotly debated topics, we brought two experts from Turkey. Uh, Burhan Ettin Duran is the general coordination co coordinator for SETA Foundation is in general in Turkey. And Char Erhan is the member of uh, Turkish Presidency's uh, National Security and Foreign Policy Committee. Uh, we will have a short presentation from the, our panelists. And after that, we will continue with question and answer. And we will start with Professor Erhan uh, about his presentation on Turkey's Mediterranean policy. Thank you. It's nice to be here again. Uh, in fact, the subject is highly technical one. So just before starting, to highlight some issues, I would like to show you uh, some maps about the terminology. As mentioned by Kılıç, Turkey signed a uh, maritime boundary delimitation agreement with Libya on 27th of November last year. And all of a sudden, the issue of Mediterranean uh, became so popular in the region. But we have to remember how this last step made and what was the short history before it. Uh, that's why I would like to show you just two short information slides about the maritime zones in law of sea. We will mention in our panel two important terms. The first one is continental shelf. The other one is exclusive economic zone. So international law defines that the continental shelf is the inherent sovereign area on the seabed or subsoil, which can be explored and exploited by one sovereign state. And this continental shelf can extend around 200 nautical miles from the territory of one state. The second term is the exclusive economic zone. Exclusive economic zone again is a sovereign rights area for exploring and exploiting natural resources, both living and non-living natural resources, and it can extend to 200 nautical miles. What is the difference between continental shelf and the exclusive economic zone? That this continental shelf includes 
exploration and exploitation of natural resources of seabed and subsoil, which does not include living subjects, but exclusive economic zone includes both the living subjects, which means the fisheries, of course, fish and other living subjects, in the water column in this area. So we have to keep in mind these two basic terms in order to understand what is going on in this area. And one special reference to international law, how to make delimitation of the boundaries, maritime boundaries, between the coastal or, or riparian states in a sea. The basic and essential principle is not to harm the interest of any third party. If you want to make a delimitation, if you want to share a sea area, you have to make it by agreements and you should not violate interest of any third party. What had happened in the Mediterranean in 15 years? It all started in 2003. Greek administration of Southern Cyprus, they made an agreement with Egypt and they unilaterally, without making any discussion or compromise with Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus, they decided to make a delimitation of this area with Egypt. And they made an agreement, they draw a line, just three years after this line, they also started some seismic surveys in the area, both 2D and 3D seismic surveys. And 2007, they drove offshore blocks of drilling and they licensed it to some companies in on 19th of September 2011, one company, the Noble Company, an American company, started drilling in this 12th block of the licensed area. This date is quite important. That's why I put the date also, 19th of September, because Turkey reacted just two days after this drilling started in the area. On the 21st of 22nd of September 2011, three days after the drilling started, Turkey made an agreement with Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus for the delimitation of continental shelf. So this line was drawn. This area was announced as the continental shelf of Turkey, and this area was announced as the continental shelf of Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus. And Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus government gave license to Turkish petroleum company to make drilling in the areas of exclusive economic zone of Turkish Cyprus. So this map emerged. So this area with blue lines are the areas, are the areas which are claimed by 
Greek Cypriots, and this red area, area framed by red line, is the area which is claimed by Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus, and Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus gave some license to Turkish petroleum company to make drilling in these areas. And these drilling activities started last year, 2019. Three Turkish research and drilling ships, namely Fatih, Yavuz, and Barbaros Hayrettin Pasha, very modern ships which were recently bought, uh, they started activities to search and drill in the areas which were licensed by Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus, in these two areas particularly. There is no overlapping in this area, but in this area, as you may see, it is also claimed area by the southern uh, Cyprus. Therefore, this Barbaros Hayretin Pasha is still continuing its drilling activities here. And these two areas are out of this overlapping region. This map is extremely important because now I will mention Turkish-Libyan agreement. Before the agreement, the Greece government and some international law professors from Greece, they proposed a plan for delimitation and sharement of the Eastern Mediterranean area. According to this plan, the red area was shown as the continental shelf or proposed exclusive economic zone of Turkey, this red area. And all the rest, this blue area, was proposed as the Greek exclusive economic zone, which is completely against the basic principle of delimitation of maritime boundaries in international law, because according to international law, the area of exclusive economic zone is a proportion of your length of your cost. Therefore, as Turkey has the longest length of cost in this area, Turkey should have and must have, according to international law, the biggest area. But how come Greece can propose such a thing? Because there is a small Greek island here, which is named Mace. This Mace is a part of Dodakanese, or 12 islands. And according to Greek international lawyers or professors, this small island has its own continental shelf, which has an area of just 24 square kilometers, and just two kilometers away from Turkish mainland. And all this area, because of this small island, is allocated to Greece. So this is, of course, unacceptable uh, for Turkey. That's why Turkey started to become more active in this area, 
and uh, by the signing of Turkish-Libyan agreement, Turkey finally announced its official position. According to Turkish formal stance, Turkey has a continental shelf boundary with Egypt, depending on the equidistant line in the Mediterranean. This line is just the middle of the distance between Turkey and Egypt. So this line is drawn by Turkey and it separates Turkish and proposed Egyptian exclusive economic zones in this area. It is also the same one. So this line is depending on 12-11 agreement between Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus and Turkey. So this is the delimitation line between Cyprus, Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus and Turkey. And this is between Egypt and Turkey. But of course, there is a missing part here. What is the west, western limit of this area? So in order to decide the western limit of this area, Turkey signed this agreement with Libya. And this points between F and E was drawn. It is just 24 kilometers. 24 kilometers, but it defines the western utmost limit of this area for Turkey. So in order to understand better, I will show you the last slide. Yes. Yes. This points between A and B is the 1211 Turkish and Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus agreement. CDE, CDE is the median line between Egypt and Turkey, main lines, mainlands. And EF is the area which is defined by the latest agreement between Turkey and Libya. And Turkey, just after, one day after the signature of the agreement, applied to United Nations General Assembly with this letter in order to register the agreement in the uh, United Nations Treaty Series. Everything is depending on international law. Everything is, without question, is in comply with international law. What does Turkey offer in this area? Turkey depends on the essential principle not to harm the rights of the third parties. Therefore, Turkey offers to Greece and Egypt to negotiate on the issue and the delimitation in the west of the island should be affected after the comprehensive settlement 
of the Cyprus issue. So we must decide on the final situation about the economic zone of Cyprus after a final solution is re reached, whether federal, confederal, or two-state solution. So after this agreement, Turkish Petroleum Company will continue its survey and drilling activities in Turkey's continental shelf. Turkish Petroleum Company will continue survey and drilling activities in the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus licensed areas unless the Turkish Cypriot's equal rights over the offshore resources are guaranteed. And Turkey is ready to, to, to discuss with Egypt and Greece on its proposals of July 2019. Turkey seeks a just solution in line with the essential principles of international law. So I will cut here. And after uh, Professor Dron's speech, we can go further with questions and answers. Well, yeah, uh, I'd like to start by thanking to Professor Erhan, uh, Erhan's presentation because, you know, uh, he pictured the, the Eastern Mediterranean side of the issue, and I will take the advantage of uh, continuing from, from this uh, perspective. Uh, as you know, Turkey uh, signed two, two separate memorandums of understanding with Libya. One was about delimitation of maritime boundaries, but the second one was about uh, military cooperation, uh, security and military cooperation. This uh, actually uh, triggered a question of uh, what is the new policy of Turkey towards Libya? Uh, is there a, uh, you know, a tension of uh, escalating the civil war or uh, what was Turkey's basic interest in, in, in this uh, memorandums? Well, first I should underline that it is about Turkey's uh, protection of interest, in, in strategic interest in the Eastern Mediterranean. This is uh, clearly presented by Professor Erhan. And accordingly, the deployment of uh, military personnel, uh, Turkish troops, to Libya is considered a part and parcel of Turkey's strategic interest in the Eastern Mediterranean. And of course, uh, Turkey has the largest stretch of shoreline in the Eastern Mediterranean. So it is not logical to exclude from the old talks about sharing the Eastern Mediterranean uh, maritime issues. And Turkey take a step towards more uh, cooperation, more positive cooperation for, for sharing the Eastern Mediterranean. This should be regarded as Turkey's take in the, in the uh, you know, equilibrium, in the Eastern equilibrium. Those documents, yes, prevented the Greece maximalist uh, approach towards sharing Eastern Mediterranean uh, maritime issues. Uh, otherwise, if Turkey didn't react to that, Turkey could be uh, limited to just the Gulf of Antalya, and it is uh, it was seen in the in the maps. So Turkey's 
decision to uh, make a mem two memorandums with Libya is uh, very uh, directly related to Turkey's strategic interests in the Mediterranean. And the second uh, point that I want to raise is Turkey's uh, sending troops to Libya not to be a part of the military conflict, but on the contrary, to make a political solution more, uh, a choice more real. You know, uh, the Haftar forces are uh, marching towards, towards Trablus. They are very near to, to the center, even seven, eight kilometers. And this could be the fall of the UN-backed legitimate government. Turkey, so Turkey is trying to help this legitimate government uh, to make it contact, to make it uh, survive. So this deployment of troops could be seen as part of political solution. Of course, Turkey is not the only party that can bring a political solution to Libyan case, to Libyan civil war. But uh, actually all other, all some other parties, including US or Europe, European countries, Algeria and others, are invited to contribute to Tripoli government, the UN-backed legitimate government. But it is the only Turkey that uh, decided to send troops to uh, support uh, Tripoli government. Turkey believes that if the, the uh, continuing uh, situation is allowed to make more progress for Haftar forces, this will not bring stability and peace to Libya. On the contrary, this will create a more fertile ground for terrorism, instability, uh, not just for Libya, but also for the neighboring countries of Libya, including uh, Tunis, uh, Algeria, Chad, and Niger. And another uh, point, yes, uh, there is a discussion of third parties, but Turkey's involvement in Libya is just after the other parties' involvement in there. We know that mercenaries from Chad, Niger, Sudan, and uh, Russian Wagner companies are fighting for Haftar forces. So um, Turkey's objective is the to help Libya's legitimate government to end the terrorization of its citizen rather than participate in conflict directly. And my personal opinion here is that Ankara is not for uh, to be a part of uh, any military conflict against uh, Emirates, Saudi Arabia, and France, or, or others. Uh, Turkey is not after a regional conflict either. Uh, Turkey calls to implement security agreement uh, for, for Libyan government, and this should be a base for other parties as well. Uh, for example, uh, US uh, or European countries could be involved in the, in the Libyan case to promote political solution that could be realized uh, in, in Berlin negotiations under the UN auspices. Because Turkey believes that chaos in Libya will uh, make more problems for not just for, for Mediterranean, but also for all Europe. 
Um, Haftar, some, I know that some capitals think that if Haftar wins, then problem will be solved even by force. But that's not the case. This would be just the beginning of another kind of civil war in Libya. And this would threaten all the neighboring countries, including Tunisia and, and Algeria. So what should be done is a positive contribution to the UN-backed government, like Turkey did. And I expect that US and European uh, countries could follow the same path that uh, international community would respond uh, to that crisis in the correct way. Yes, it is, a it is something necessary to make uh, some reforms in Libya, including security reform, public administration reform, local government reforms. And there should be a contribution from international community to stability and restructuring of all Libyan institutions. And the last issue that the probability of Libya's conflict spilling over into neighboring countries, uh, as I stated, is a key driver for Turkey's involvement in there. And I, I believe that this is a legitimate cause for all international community to be involved in the Libyan case. Uh, yes, there are some, some parties to that. Uh, Russia, Emirates, Egypt, uh, and positively in the short run, I think Algeria and Tunisia is, are also concerned with what's happening in Libya. There can be a political process that could unite all parties in, on, uh, around the same table to have a political solution. Of course, without US and other big parties' involvement in the Libyan case, uh, it is not easy to solve this peacefully and politically. Uh, but what Turkey is trying to do to make an attention to all community that we need a political solution, not a military solution to, uh, to the Libyan case. Uh, first, after forces should withdraw from the areas that, that invaded after uh, April 4, and there should be a political uh, apparatus, political process of bringing uh, two parties together. That is the Turkey's uh, perspective uh, for the Libyan case. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. And very uh, before opening floor for questions, let me, this is, it's a regional problem, but let me internationalize a little bit. Uh, Professor Erhan, uh, there is an Eastern Mediterranean uh, Energy and Security Partnership Act which passed through another bill actually and enacted. And it brings a new, per, a new uh, policy actually for the United States in Eastern Mediterranean. And on top of that, we have Russia in Eastern Mediterranean as well. Putting into context both of these two major powers in the region as well, how would you uh, characterize the, this new geopolitics in the region? Where is Turkey located between Russia and United States about Eastern Mediterranean? Turkey is located in the Eastern Mediterranean. The two others are not. So this is the basic answer for the uh, question. So as far as we see that Turkish-American relations deteriorated since 2013, and last year, uh, US Congress passed some resolutions against Turkey. One of them is 
has special uh, reference to the situation in Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, it has a particular concern in Turkey because uh, this special act has a mentioning of removing a U.S. Uh, arms embargo on Southern Cyprus. So as long as Southern Cyprus government stops its so-called biased relations with Russians, because it's quite important. So we know since late 1990s, uh, Southern Cyprus became an arena for Russian tycoons and bankers for many money laundering activities. And certain Cyprus banks are used as an apparatus for money laundering of this uh, controversial, let's say, uh, activities of some Russian firms. So now United States calls certain Cyprus to stop this kind of relations. If they stop, then they will remove arms embargo. Uh, of course, this will not help for the solving of the problem in the region. There's a long-lasting Cyprus problem since the late uh, 1960s, and it is there are some negotiations under auspices of United Nations, a special representative in the region, two communities, leaders come together. They repeatedly talked upon some plans and programs, uh, and there is a balance in the region. So if uh, U.S. steps forward to remove an arms embargo on one part, of course it has repercussions uh, for the north of Cyprus, and there will be some similar cases. Uh, as the issue of East Met, you know, just one week ago, uh, Israel, Greece, and southern Cyprus signed an agreement about a pipeline which would uh, carry Eastern Mediterranean gas, which are found in the so-called EEZ areas of Southern Cyprus and Israel, carry this gas to Europe. Of course, there are some, there used to be some projects of EastMed pipeline. Uh, and this is the less feasible of them, which they decided to sign this agreement. So, why do you think it is less feasible? Because of the financial terms. Uh, let's think about. Just, I would like to bring back the map. Look at the area. The easiest way to carry Israeli gas to Europe is build a pipeline between Israel and Turkey. The proposed pipeline is a line to carry this gas from here to here and then to Europe. So it is almost three times more length of pipes you have to just construct on the seabed. It is highly financially expensive and it will take time. I don't know whether anyone would support, financially support this project. The it easiest way to Italy as well. Yes, but Italy is not excluded from the project. The easiest way is just take it from here and connect it to already constructed network of Turkish pipeline, which carries, already carries 
the gas to Europe. So I'm sure the weakest link, link in this proposed project is the Israel. I'm sure they will just, in the further months, they will just re-evaluate their position and they would opt not for this project, but they will search for new areas of cooperation in the Eastern Mediterranean energy with Turkey, not further, the others. Further months means after the election? After the election, of course, but uh, it will be certainly, it must be in 2020, not later. Because we have to carry this gas to somewhere. You cannot just put it to the uh, storages. You have to consume it. So the second one, of course, Turkish-Libyan agreement showed that Israel and Egypt has lost some areas to Greek Cypriots, depending on the previous agreements with Greek Cypriots. If Israel and Egypt would, would have done this agreement with Turkey, not with Greek Cypriots, they would have gained at least for Egyptian case, 11,000 square kilometers, for Israel case, 8,000 square kilometers of sea area. But now, if I, when I check with Israeli newspapers, I see there's a debate in Israel. They say, okay, we signed this agreement with Greek Cypriots, but now Turks are proposing, not officially, but non-officially, proposing something more advantageous to Israel. So why should not we should why should we lose this opportunity? So I'm, as in my academic capacity, I think Israelis will calculate it once more and opt for a new cooperation, energy cooperation, possibility with Turkey in near future. They already tried though, right? And of course, of course, this will also have positive effects on U.S. so-called new policy in the Eastern Mediterranean. Okay, we will come back to that, but uh, President Putin is coming to Turkey uh, on the 8th, I guess, right? 8th of, uh, so it is on uh, Wednesday. So uh, about the Libya agreement between Turkey and Libya, do you expect anything like an Astana process with Russia in Libya? What do you think? Uh, because they seem to be, again, on the different sides of this conflict. What would you expect from this well, meeting? There are some concerns that, you know, this Turkish uh, deployment to Libya, deployment of troops to Libya could be a, uh, you know, arena of um, conflict or, or something problematic between Turkey and Russia. Uh, I don't think that this would create problem. On the contrary, uh, since Turkey uh, and Russia uh, have a you know, now have, a, have good uh, examples of uh, cooperating in Syria, even uh, within a more difficult situation. So this could be repeated in Libya as well. Leader-to-leader -leader diplomacy is very effective between President Putin and President Erdogan. So I expect that they can negotiate uh, openly and, and they can find some ground 
or cooperation in Libyan case. Well, this should be repeated even uh, for other uh, European countries and including the US. Because yes, uh, all parties have some uh, you know, interest in Libya. For Russia, this is something more symbolic. Maybe you would remember 2011 when uh, Russia didn't veto uh, military operation uh, in Libya. And that was used against Gaddafi regime. And Putin thought that he was deceived by the West. So it, there, Putin is symbolically interested in Libya. But at the same time, Russians are looking, uh, trying to find uh, what would be the uh, reaction of the US to any further Russian involvement in, in, in Libya. So this is something in, working, in work, in progress. For, for all parties. What Turks uh, expect from U.S. about Libya? Well, what Turks expect from, not just from the U.S., but also from European countries as well, and even Russia, a positive contribution to <coughs> political solution, to end the military conflict and go back to UN-backed process, political process. This, is a, uh, this should be a recipe for Libyan civil war. Other choices will create more problems for all parties, including Europe. You know, you, you will uh, imagine how dramatic could be uh, from humanitarian side, from a refugee issue, from terrorism issues. Libya is very close to Europe. Uh, for Syria, this was a very big problem, is a big problem. But for Libya, this could be another quagmire, another terrible uh, problem for, for Europeans. So uh, all parties should come together for a political solution. This is very urgently needed, and Turkey is taking a positive step for triggering this uh, effort and to, to, uh, to make it as a political solution. Thank you. Let me open the floor for questions. And uh, can we have the mic over here? First question. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Paolo von Schirach. I'm the president of the Global Policy Institute here in Washington, D.C. Just an observation. I mean, obviously, I appreciate all the technical uh, and legal uh, explanations that you've given about the, you know, the redrawing of the uh, boundaries, exclusive economic zones, et cetera, et cetera. But as backdrop for the, the political issues that are uh, relevant right now, which is the agreement, which is the law passed by Congress, and the fact that Secretary Pompeo was in Greece, President, um, Prime Minister Netanyahu was in Greece. In other words, this is clearly, and just to call it spade and a spade, Prime Minister of Greece is arriving here. Exactly. So here's the thing: this is an agreement aimed at punishing Turkey. There's no question about it. This is a political agreement. And so while you said correctly that it makes no sense to transport Israeli gas or even you know, Cypriot gas uh, all the way across the Mediterranean into Italy via Greece, when the, obvious, the most obvious and most economical solution would be to go via Turkey, this is clearly deliberate. This is a political pipeline. If it ever will happen or not, I'm not sure. But the fact is everybody signing on it right now would indicate a political will to have this agreement between Israel, 
uh, Greek Cypriots and, and the Greeks with the blessings of the Americans to punish Turkey. There's no other explanation about this. So whether this is going to work or not, and as you said, the Israelis can say, wait a minute, this doesn't make a lot of sense, this pipeline is too expensive, for all the reasons that you pointed out. To me, the issue is political. This is not about uh, you know, the, the best uh, um, feasibility of an economic project about bringing Israeli gas to Europe or elsewhere. So perhaps you can comment on that, because clearly it seems to me this has to be seen in the context of the aftermath of the S-400 crisis and all those things that everybody knows here knows very well. And it seems to me that this is a way to say to Turkey, okay, you want to do this? No, 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 no. You're not going to do it because we're going to do it another way, which will deliberately exclude you. That's my sense as an observer. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. If and it is, it is probably uh, important to mention that the act has both references to Katza and the uh, attempt to diversify the energy resources from Russia to uh, other sources. If a threat cannot be realized, it's not a threat anymore. So whether it's a political one or not, this option cannot be realized. I am old enough to remember what had happened after the collapse of Soviet Union about this Azerbaijani gas. There were at least 10 projects. They signed the agreements, then they withdrew their signatures, signed another one. The period between 1990 and 1999, there were several projects about the sharing of this gas uh, revenues and the uh, course of the pipeline. They canceled a couple of times. So this is the first of its kind in this region. And I say, I believe no Israeli government, whether to punish Turkey or not, would financially support this ridiculous project because it is too costly, too much money should be allocated. There will be no international financial institution or corporation who would financially support this ridiculous project. That's what I say. So I, <laughs> I, I think the Americans uh, made a mistake. They put everything in the same basket as you said, to punish Turkey. So the S-400 issue has nothing to do with the situation in the Eastern Mediterranean. If you put everything in the same basket, it will not be easy to solve the problems in Turkish-American relations. Because you make everything is related to each other. It's a chaotic, uh, problematic uh, area now. So we have to take them one by one. And I believe Israelis as I, I would like to underline the same sentence. In this tripartite agreement, Israel is, the, Israel is the weakest link. They will just step back from this ridiculous project. Well, uh, what, what is needed in the Eastern Mediterranean is a just and rational sharing of the maritime issues. If it is uh, regarded as something politically punishing Turkey or any other actor, this will not survive for longer. Maybe uh, for the present conditions, yes, we have some real tensions between Turkey and the US. But uh, just look at what happened within the last three, four, five days. We are invited by Kilich to Washington DC to talk about Libyan case. But I am sure that many of you are more 
uh, concern with what's happening with Iran, between US and Iran. So Eastern Mediterranean is a part of larger Middle East, and Turkey is a regional power there, and Turkey has some established interest in the region. And I believe that Turkey and the US could find some new issues like Libya and Iran who work together and not to take all the issues within the same basket. So we should not think of it just for today. We should think it uh, for, for uh, years in the long run. There's another question. Yeah. I'm uh, Peter Humphrey, an intelligence analyst and a former diplomat. Seems to me that if uh, we wind up with two republics on the island of Cyprus, that that strange claim south of Cyprus uh, would disappear naturally. Your thoughts on that. And, and more importantly, um, the last time we had a big maritime arbitration between China and the Philippines, uh, the Philippines won and China said, to heck with it. Uh, we, re we think it's our territory. You mean in South China Sea? Uh, yeah, South China Sea, particularly Scarborough Shoal. Um, will the newly assertive Turkey uh, be inclined to go that way? Or do you have an overwhelming sense that they will bound down to whatever international arbitration regime solves all this? Charles, Cyprus problem is something different than the problem with the islands in the agency. For the Cyprus problem, there is an ongoing process under the auspices of United Nations, as I said. There's a special representative of United Nations, and the leaders of these two parties, they come together, they speak. Finally, I think last year, they also uh, made some uh, speeches with you. And Secretary Pompeo, I'm Last next week, he's Last, plan, yeah. he is planning to visit uh, Ireland and will meet with the leaders of this two, both sides. Both sides. So this is another issue. So he, there is no need to take the issue to the arbitration or International Court of Justice. This will be reached a solution uh, by the intercommunal negotiations, and there are three options: federal solution, confederal solution, or two independent country solution. There is no fourth option in the region, uh, in this area. The, the second one is the islands issue. Now, in 1999, uh, Turkey and Greece decided to take some uh, confidence-building measures in Aegean area, not to escalate the situation and for more than 21 years now or more than 20 years now it works so when compared to period before 1999 there are no uh, directly uh, security threatening issues in the Aegean this problem is frozen now of course uh, the legal authorities or platforms is an option. But if you look at the sixth chapter of the United Nations Charter, uh, the International Court of Justice or arbitration is just among the six other measures can be reached uh, before you are going there. The first one is 
negotiations between the two parties, conflicted parties. So Turkey and Greece, since 1999, has exploratory talks. Every six months, delegations headed by the other secretaries or foreign ministries, they come together and they take the issues on the table one by one. But this continental shelf and territorial water issues cannot be reached any solution for 20 years of this exploratory talks now. So uh, if these two governments decide to take it to somewhere, to International Court of Justice, etc., of course, according to the status of International Court of Justice, first, they have to decide which law will be implemented on it. The main conflict is to take which law. If you look at Greek side, they say, okay, we are signatory of 1982 United Nations Convention of Sea of Law. They say, we have to implement this. But Turkey says, okay, we are not a signatory to this convention. We have to go take the reference to the general principles of Sea of Law and the Lausanne Treaty. And therefore, uh, before deciding on which method would be implemented, these two governments cannot take it to the International Court of Justice. Do you see arbitration an option here or other than international? No, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. No, it will be done through bilateral negotiations. Okay, Alan has questions. Thanks. Um, one question for Burhanatine uh, Bey and one for Jara Bey. Um, so Burhanatine Bey, you talking about the upcoming uh, meeting between Presidents Putin and Erdogan. You said that Turkey and Russia have cooperated in a far more difficult situation in Syria. Um, so you, they'll find a way to manage in Libya, but actually the evidence of more recent weeks is not so positive with Russia bombing Idlib you know, ruthlessly, really. I mean, it's stunning what they're doing, bombing hospitals, um, you know, and other places. And about, what is it, a quarter million uh, IDPs at this point fly, fleeing towards the Turkish border. So I just wonder in the context, first of all, do you see any trade-off? Is Russia sending Turkey a message about Libya via Idlib? Um, and more generally, how do you factor all these things together? Where is our Turkish and Russian, Turkish Russian relations on the eve of this major summit? Um, and Chara, I just wanted to clarify, um, I mean, there is another option for Israel for its gas, at least as I understand it, I'm not as expert as you. Um, to send their gas to Egypt, where it can be converted into LNG and then shipped onward. And from Turkey's point of view, if that's what Israel does, is there, uh, I, I know Turkey won't be happy, but is there, uh, it, is there any stronger reaction than that? Does Turkey have a case to make against Israel's doing that? Thank you. First, Well, uh, a good question. Well, we know that it's it's not easy for Turkey to make cooperation with Russia in, in Syria. 
In Idlib, what Russians are doing, a piecemeal, um, a gradual elimination of the conflict zone, actually. And this is forcing some new refugees to Turkey. Th this is a big problem, this is a serious problem. But what we have in our hands, still to continue with cooperation with Russia, while uh, calling our Western friends to put more attention to Idlib. Because this refugee issue is not just Turkey's concern, but also Europeans' concerns. But unfortunately, they are not paying enough attention to that. Yes, I know that there are some you know, leader diplomacy between Erdogan, Merkel, Erdogan, Macron uh, on, on this issue. But we are trying to do our best with Russia in Idlib. But for Libya, we are just at, maybe not at the beginning, but even very close to the beginning of this Libyan civil war, uh, civil war uh, equilibrium. Uh, Turkey is becoming involved uh, maybe um, earlier than Turkey's involvement in Syria. So this gives a chance to Turkey to make a balance uh, in, in the Sib Libyan civil war and again against Russia. Of course, this should not be done by some confrontation with Russia. Again, uh, you have to be there by military and then you can negotiate with the partners. That is the reality of the new world. Maybe it was uh, the same the reality before Trump, but after Trump, that's, that's the reality. You have to be there and then you, you can negotiate. Uh, I expect that, yes, Putin has some symbolic involvement in Libya, but uh, unlike Syria, uh, Russia cannot uh, put heavy effect on, on, on the uh, field. Now, Wagner's groups are very effective in fighting, but when Turkey became a part of the equilibrium, this will change. And then I expect that with the inclusion of other parties, other related parties into Libyan case, such as? Such as European countries, including Germany, maybe UK, France, sure. And expecting that US should be there. Yes, I know that US is impartial from the beginning. But if Russians are becoming more involved in the Libyan case, and what will be the U.S. reaction to that? That is the crucial question should be answered by Washington, not by me. Uh, but I expect that they would be uh, more uh, eager to, uh, you know, eager to be participated in that. If not, that would be another uh, scene for, uh, you know, Putin and Erdogan to try to make a deal on that. And I, I'm not sure about that if the Libyan case could be given to just Turkey and Russia. I'm not sure about that. There will be other parties. But of course, Russians are trying to negotiate with all parties, including Egypt, Emirates, and Turkey. And we will expect that even this could contribute to the political solution, not to military uh, conflict uh, anymore. Well, but, but this could be a, a hard one, but we don't expect a 
easy one with Russians just for years. When deciding on the routes of the pipelines uh, and railroads, highways like the Chinese so-called New Silk Way, for example, the cost is not the only thing you take into consideration. These are all strategic decisions because the route will define on which country or countries will you depend or will be dependent in the next three, four, five decades maybe. So, of course, it is Israeli strategic decision whether to opt for Egypt, uh, if Israelis trust on the political stability, future of political stability in Egypt and their future relations with Israel, so they can opt for this option. It is still costly because this transformation of gas to LNG uh, is a highly costly issue. Uh, and after the discovery of highly rich Zor area in Egypt, now is the Egyptian current capacity is not enough even for its own resources to transform it in a reasonable span of time into LNG. So if Israeli gas will be added into this production, it will take a lot of new investments and it will, of course, increase the cost. But apart from the cost or financial analysis, the most important decision for Israel is the answer of the basic question. Do you trust future political stability and relations with Israel of Egypt or not? Let me get two questions at the same time. Yeah. Thank you. Hi, this is Safan. Safan Labard from Anadolu Agency. Thank you for doing this. Uh, Mr. Ahan and uh, Mr. Duran, uh, my question is for both of you, whoever wants to respond. Uh, you partly, Mr. Duran, you partly responded, but I just want to ask one more time to um, find out what's your opinion. So in your opinion, do you think that uh, Turkish forces who have been deployed to uh, Libya right now in support of the Republic government might get into any conflict or uh, uh, active fight uh, with Russian mercenaries or even uh, UAE and Egypt, Egyptian-backed uh, tribes. I mean, we're talking about very unprofessional, undisciplined, and more importantly, uh, reckless tribes here. What's your opinion on this in case of uh, this situation might occur? Thank you. Let me get the other question as well. Um, Stanley Cobra, I'd like to pursue the financial aspect of this. I'm looking at a story, natural gas is fighting for survival. It quotes a report, I'll just give a few words, quote, continued investment in announced gas projects risks creating tens of billions of dollars in stranded costs by the mid-2030s when new gas plants and pipelines 
pipelines will rapidly become uneconomic. Now, if that's the case, you're going to lose a lot of money on this pipeline. So do you have any financial analysis to back up why you think this is a good idea? Which pipeline? The, uh, you mean the Turkish pipeline? Is yeah. Okay. Charoja. It is one-third less expensive than the proposed Israeli Cyprus-Greece pipeline. So I also share the same views that after the discoveries of shale gas, particularly, the importance of natural gas when compared to 20, 30 years ago is now uh, less important. And pipelines are expensive. But there are two pipelines options in the area now. One is three times more expensive than the first one. So what I'm telling is that Israelis supporting this second option is not feasible. I'm not talking about its financial cost, how many billions of dollars it will cost. But I say it is one third, three times more expensive than the proposed pipeline with Turkey. Well, um, there are some risks, of course, for Turkey's uh, sending troops to Libya. Well, as I stated before, uh, Turkey doesn't want to be a part party to military conflict. Uh, and also Turkey is not seeking to, uh, you know, win a victory over Haftar forces on behalf of uh, government of national accord. But what is uh, expected to an equilibrium to have political solution. And Turkey is, uh, uh, is trying to uh, help the government, the Libyan government by training and coordination, but not uh, certainly combatant uh, in a certain, not in a certainly combated position. Uh, in order to avoid the risks, Turkey is also trying to trigger a diplomatic, uh, you know, tour to make a leadership, to leader to leader uh, diplomacy, to have a, a certain understanding that military solution is not the solution. So diplomacy also will be on the uh, first priority. But at the end of the day, uh, I know that there is a certain political will to back this uh, Libyan legitimate government. OK, and one last question that I have uh, for both of the panelists, actually. Uh, Dr. Erhan is very much optimistic about the future of Turkish-Israeli relations and expecting an agreement about the Mediterranean, uh, Eastern Mediterranean natural gas, at least. Tell me about the worst-case scenario that can happen in Eastern Mediterranean crisis. I think we can call it right now a little bit crisis. Low-intensity crisis, let me say that. <laughs> no, the, the countries in the region, they are get used to 
living crisis. As I said, in, it was more than 60 cases. Some of us here, most of us here, uh, were not born in 1963 when the Greeks uh, decided to exclude Turks from the government on Cyprus. And it is last year, it was the uh, 55th anniversary of so-called Johnson letter in 1964, when President Johnson, Lyndon Johnson, sent to Turkish Premier Inonu at that time to stop a Turkish military operation on Cyprus. So, And 45th anniversary of US arms embargo. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I can continue for the, for the 50th anniversary of Turkish uh, peace operation yeah. in 74, etc., etc. So it is a long-lasting problem. So there is no worst-case scenario. Uh, I think energy resources in this area, maybe I am highly optimistic about this issue, can be used as an starting point for more cooperation. Remember, after the Second World War, the coal and steel industry in Germany, in France, in Benelux countries, were the starting point for the creation of a new cooperation. It, it resulted first with European Economic Cooperation, then with the European Union. So this was the starting point. So the drilling and transportation of the hydrocarbon reserves in this area can be a starting point for a new cooperation in the region. But it can be done only with inclusion of Turkey. What the countries in the region are trying to exclude Turkey. Last year, for example, a new initiative called Eastern Mediterranean Gas Forum was established. All countries, including Palestine, were there, but Turkey were, was excluded. They didn't invite Turkey to the meetings in Egypt and uh, Israel. So, and Italy is joining as well for this year's forum. Italy, France, and Israel, Palestine, Greece, Egypt, Lebanon, all ministers of energy or foreign affairs were there, but Turkey was not invited. So as I shown on the map, Turkey has the longest coast on Eastern Mediterranean. So you cannot exclude Turkey. By law, Turkey has, if I use a, a legal term, ab initio and ipso facto, right. It means inherent right in the area. So whether you exclude politically Turkey or not, Turkey does not lose its economic rights in the region, legal rights in the region. So best idea is to include Turkey, start a new cooperation. It will serve to solve some of the problems in the region. It will serve to peace to the region. And that is what Turkey proposed in July 2019 if you look at the Turkish proposal, one of the proposals is to create a fund. And all the revenue gained in the disputed areas must be blocked in the fund until a lasting solution is reached 
in Cyprus problem. Then this money can be used after the solution. So Turkey, whatever Turkey does in the region, is to first, as Uralitin Hoca mentioned, to, to defend its interests, inherent interests, inherent rights. But secondly, wants to solve peaceful solutions to the problem. So we have to avoid any future conflicts in the region. We are we've already fed up with the conflicts. Every day, another one. Without the solution of the previous one, another one is added to the table. And Middle East and this Eastern Mediterranean arena, for, unfortunately, is becoming a very hot yeah. uh, region. And the same question about the worst case scenario in Libya. Well, of course, the worst case is the escalation of the civil war between uh, two parties. And maybe the worst of the worst scenario is uh, taking Haftar is taking Tripoli. Um, what could be done is, of course, to avoid these worst two worst scenarios. And Turkey is just trying to do that. But uh, certainly uh, it is correct to say that uh, all international communities, uh, positive involvement in, in the Libyan case is needed very urgently. And not just Turkey, but also US, European countries, Italy, France, and others are invited to back the legitimate uh, government. But uh, if you know, Europeans or, and US are not involved enough to be a, you know, a game changer in the, in the Libyan case, then it means that this uh, case will be uh, solved by Turkish and Russian involvement there. Uh, you know, I don't know what would be the reaction of the Western capitals, but we, we will see it. We together, coming from a region of full of crisis. We are for cooperation. It is sure that we are for cooperation. But we are realistic enough that to know that the world doesn't act in that way, and you should be ready for conflicts as well. So I believe that Turkey should be ready even for the worst scenarios in Libya. Thank you very much. Uh, I want to thank our panelists and thank you for coming here. And please join me thanking our panelists for their. <laughs>